Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We're here to discuss the Arsenal game, the 3-0 loss. Uh, against the current league leaders, here to talk us through, Sammy, how are we going? I'm emotionally fragile. I'm emotionally fragile. I'm very tired and I'm a bit sad, but yeah, happy to be here. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it does feel a little bit like that. And Dad, how are you going tonight? I'm going to swim upstream. I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to this. I'm um, looking forward to the conversation. I'm glad. Almost 24 hours have passed. I've had my yoga lesson. I'm feeling good. I'm ready to talk. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you kind of do need a yoga lesson after after a, uh, a performance like that. It was a, an interesting one. Obviously, Fulham going down 3-0, uh, three goals before half time, uh, and it could have been more. I think we can all agree that it, it really looked like it could have been a bit of a massacre. We've seen quite a few scores this season. You know, you saw Liverpool put seven past Man United. Um, we we saw Bournemouth have nine knock past them earlier this season. There's been some absolute floggings, and for a little while it did look like that was going to be uh, the kind of scoreline we were expecting. Um, Sammy, I mean, Arsenal, how good were they though? Really? Yeah, there's a very there's a very much main character situation going on with Arsenal right now where you kind of just have to sit back and accept that they are the team. There was a couple of, there was a couple of points last night where as a Fulham fan as well, I was just sitting back and just kind of like almost found myself watching Arsenal more than I was actually watching Fulham, which is a terrible thing to like admit, but they were just very mesmerizing, like just really strong all across the park. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're champions. I can't see them not winning the league. And yeah, very, very well deserved when they will do it. Like, it's, yeah, it's tough. It was tough last night. Yeah, Dad, I mean, we, we knew Arsenal were going to be tough. We expected a few injury worries. We thought Trossard might miss out. We thought uh, Jesus was nowhere near the starting lineup. They both got named. Um, but, you know... Are Arsenal the best team to have visited Craven Cottage this year, or at least the best team we've come up against this year? It looked a very different beast from the team we pushed all the way to the very end when we went to the Emirates earlier this season. Well, two sides to that. One, they are clearly terrific side. Actually, three comments. They're a very, very good side. They've improved, um, you know, a lot since we played them last. Not Mm. that we have not improved, but we're clearly having a few problems at the moment. And as I said in the preview, it it, it feels like we're kind of on the ropes in a a number of different facets or, you know, departments. Um, And and it's a shame that we didn't have our, certainly didn't have our best 11 out there to give them a good go. But there are some question marks over effort last night. And um, I think that, that's a little bit disappointing, but 
taking nothing away from Arsenal, they were very, very, very good. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll expand a little bit on on what you mentioned there, that, that there were some issues that are starting to arise. And, you know, we've been so positive all season when we're talking about Fulham and the performances we put in. Um, you know, we've mentioned the last couple of weeks that it looks like there's something going on where we're just not 100% on the ball at all times. And, um, you know, we're not putting in the performances we're kind of used to and we're expecting now. And this felt like a bit of a culmination of all of that, where, you know, some of the performances that have been questionable the last couple of weeks really came to the fore in this game. And we saw some pretty pretty atrocious performances from quite a few players, I'd say, that, you know, we, we're just not used to at the moment. Um, and uh, let's talk about the the first one. Um, well, let's talk about, in fact, the, the, the lineup at first, because I think we weren't really expecting that change. I know, Sammy, you did sort of call it saying you could see BDR potentially starting. And um, uh, I think... Well, Silver has said that if William was fit, he was actually picked to start in that game. So BDR sort of got thrown in fairly last minute, it seems, because it appears William has a bit of a hamstring injury and um, then a little bit of a back injury on top of that as well. Um, hopefully it's just some muscle soreness and nothing too extreme. Um, Sammy, how did you think Bobby played, considering he sort of got thrown in the side, but maybe a little bit last minute? Yeah, look, this. I mean, I know, I know, it's our gig to essentially um, break down our performances and go player by player. I, I, it's one of the few games where I think it's unfair to judge any of our players too much. Um, I thought, I thought everyone kind of did as good as they could possibly do, given like the immense amount of pressure. I thought, I thought Bobby um, did his best going forward. There were, I'll, I'll be honest. There were large parts of the game where I would kind of dis, kind kind of disassociated a little bit and just kind of just it would it almost just felt like everything was coming at me and them at the same time, and so my perspective is a little bit warped on essentially how all of our players actually played. Um, I don't I don't want to I don't want to say Bobby played bad or anything, but I just feel that it was just very very outclassed, um, like. He was he was on Saka's side, right? Um, no, Saka played on the right. No, he was on the left. He was on Martinelli's side. Yeah, like I, either way, like these these are these are very elite level players, and I feel that it was very very hard on either side for like Solomon and BDR to really be competitive. Ah, oh, this, is, this is not going to be fun. Like, I'm not having fun talking about this. I'm really not, man. <laughs> kind of, kind of sounds like I, you, I, you had a little of a bit of a bad trip during the game or something, Sammy. It was, like, it was like almost four a.m. my time. So, like, four a.m. Yeah, my time and getting smashed by Arsenal. Like, there's only so much mental capacity I have in those moments. Well, I'll, I'll throw over to Dad then because you know we actually um, had the opportunity to sit next to each other and watch the game and uh, moan quite a bit throughout the whole thing, basically. Um, an another big decision in terms of the lineup. I, I agree with you, though, Sammy. I don't think Bobby had a terrible game uh, considering uh, the the quality of the opposition. But, Dad, um, you uh, are not his biggest fan, and he got picked over Issa Diop. Um, Tosin, how, well, firstly, were you expecting him to be picked? And secondly, how did you think he performed um, 
not just individually, but as part of the whole team, if you take the rest of the team's performance into account as well? I'm not sure um, Marcus Silva has explained himself in, in a post-match or anywhere. Not that in I've terms seen, of no. Why, why Issa Diop has left out. You, you can't convince me that he's been playing badly or no dramatic, not dramatically worse than anyone else over the last two or three weeks when we haven't been good. Um, I, I don't know it's an injury or fatigue thing, but perhaps it was some kind of a strategy uh, to to select Tosin over Diop, but I, I don't get it, still don't. Um, I thought, Jack, I thought he was predictably Tosin for me, and I, I, I did send a tweet, <laughs> not a tweet, I, I sent a message to you guys while we were watching the game, and I and I did discuss it with Jack sitting next to me, and I said, well, the, the problem with Tosin oftentimes is that he's he's a really good raw talent, and we keep saying he's young, but there are lots of young players who don't um, don't display all of the kind of problems I have uh, with with poor old Tosin. He he the, he's actually. He's not a terrible defender all of the time, although he did make a couple of howlers last night. Um, but the biggest problem I have with him is, is his distribution and his passing, where he thinks he's a midfielder and can actually make quite reckless passes in areas that are incredibly dangerous. And he gives the ball away, um, almost trying to be a bit flash, uh, trying to be quite instinctive, and I just don't think... A, I don't think his skill level's quite up to what he tries to pull off, and B, it's way too high risk strategy. Well, I think it's we. Sh- I shared a, a tweet with you guys earlier in the week where Tosin has the biggest difference between his passing ability when uh, under pressure and when not under pressure, where his passing completion rate when not under pressure is up at you know eighty ninety percent. But when he is under pressure, as in when when there's ever any kind of press, it's down at like thirty or forty percent, and it's it's really mm. telling that when he's got time, and he has the ability to pick a pass, he's actually quite a good passer of the ball. But as soon as you put any pressure on him, he makes some some silly choices, and and we did see a little bit of that um, during the game. And look, I I just think we're so used to seeing Diop, and he he seems a lot more rock solid than Tosin. And so it, it did seem, I, I think it exasperates the issue slightly when you know that um, Diop sitting on the bench is probably just a better defender than Tosin um, in, in terms of form, at least this season, but um, also potentially in terms of ability, current ability, that is. Um, so it, it does make it hard watching a performance like that. Um, let, let's talk through the goals, though. The first one could be attributed to a mistake by Tosin, um, a, a corner swung in. Gabriel gets up over the top of Tosin. Probably could have challenged for the ball a bit. There was a bit of an arm in the back. Um, maybe harsh to blame Tosin entirely, but um, he's definitely at fault a little bit. Um, uh, you know, Arsenal had had a disallowed goal at that point already, uh, an own goal off Robinson's leg. Um, Sam, when that, first, when that first goal went in, Sammy... Um, did it feel like it was going to be a very long afternoon for you or very long early, early morning for you? 
Yes, in short answer, yes. Although I did say that Anthony Robinson would score and I felt very good about that in a <laughs> smug sort of way. But yeah, I mean, like I, I, I said it to you guys last week, I, I, I knew that this was going to be hard. The only thing that I really wanted was essentially for us to put in a good effort. I think that we got that in the second half. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rag on the guys and say, ah, they didn't do anything for the whole 90 minutes. I feel, I feel that um, second half performance was significantly better, but yeah, that when, when um, a team like that scores in like, what, like the first 10 minutes, even if it's like an own, a forced own goal, it doesn't, it doesn't put you at ease. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've lived through too many Scott Parker days to kind of like know what it feels like when it's not going to be not going to be our moment. I mean that that first goal, which was the own goal, which got chalked out, that was a, a seriously good move from Arsenal. They just looked yeah. flash, and it was unlucky that it ended up in our net. But they did have two men at the back post, completely unmarked as well. Um, mm. So it did feel like when that goal went in on the twenty-first minute from Gabriel, it felt like it was coming. And then, Dad, probably the biggest talking point uh, in terms of if, if you want to talk about poor performances, the second goal where Martinelli heads the ball in at the back post, almost completely unchallenged by Robinson, who seems to try and edge Martinelli out from underneath the ball. Um, you know, we were both gobsmacked watching that happen. Um, give me your overall thoughts on on Anthony Robinson's performance in general, because you know we we know that he's been touted with a big move, big money move uh, in the summer potentially. Um, but off the back of a performance like that, you know, that we were talking about 35 million for him, I think was the number that got thrown around by Man City and Newcastle. Um, it, did that look like a 35 million pound defender? Well, if I was sitting around a, um, a table, I'd be saying, did, did anyone cash that check? Hmm. Um, no. Um, and... Robinson's had a really good season. Let's be very clear and fair about it. He's done really, really well. We, we've we been loving his link-up play with Willian. It's been exciting. He's carried the ball forward brilliantly. He's, his crossing never looks very dangerous to me, but he does, he does actually create plenty going forward. And he's, he's very, very fast. He's a good athlete. And he's he's been good for us. Um, that said, I don't think anyone's really of the opinion that he's an incredible defender. Mm. And that might seem harsh, but he's just not. And I think we've been getting away with one. In fact, we've been doubly getting away with one, given the lack of cover that we have at left back and that mm. we've actually got away without you know, some sort of terrible, terrible disaster there, particularly with Gazawa now being injured, we're on super thin ice. And I, you know, look, um, what I was going to say earlier, Jack, was that our job is not to kind of ride the wave of rah, rah, rah when we're doing well and deep depression when we get beaten. You know, surely our job is to try and sort of explain why we think it's going wrong and what we have to do to improve things. And for me, this is just yet another uh, wake-up call to the owners and management of Fulham 
that if we have aspirations of actually actually contending for Europe, if that's what we want to be, then, and, and we have the money for it, then something very seriously has to be done come summer. Um, and that's a whole other discussion. But we, you know, we, we've been playing out of our skin and Robinson's a case in point where I, I, I'd argue Silva actually has got absolutely everything out of Robinson, the player. And that's just not sustainable. He's always going to come up against very, very good strikers who will show him up and he'll get fatigued because we can't rotate him and, and so on and so so forth. Stuff we've talked about ad nauseum. But it is a, a, an issue for the club that's got to be addressed if we've got more ambition. Yeah, go on, Sammy. I just want I just want to say like just at least one point on it. Um I can I can accept that just sometimes players just have a bad game. I feel that this was Robinson's bad game. I do I think he's the best um like defender in the world? Obviously not. Do I think he's had a really good season? Yeah, I do. And I'm not going to judge his entire value just based on a poor performance where he got I think he just got massively in his own head about playing Arsenal because that's just what it looked like. He was making just some weird faux pas, which I just, it's not indicative of like the player that I think he is. And I can essentially just write that one off of him just being like far in the clouds about it. But I I don't think we're having a crack and saying none of these players are good enough if they have one bad performance. I think we're, we're pretty happy that, you know, we, we're having a very good season so far. This was, this was a bad performance, but, you do still have to address it and look at it all and go, you know, are there deeper issues there? Because maybe, and, you know, I, I bring up XG fairly often, but don't like to talk about it that much. But if you look at the XG and the expected points we should have this season, we're massively overperforming. Mm-hmm. And what what's sort of been said the whole time is that will catch up with us eventually. And I think it's starting to catch up with us at the moment. Teams are starting to work us out. There's a little bit of shock and awe in the first 19 games where you've played every team for the first time this season. They don't fully get you. And now teams are starting to work us out a bit. And it's it's showing where we can't play the ball out of defence because we're getting closed down too quickly. Mitro is now getting completely marked out of games and we're seeing less and less of him. Um and, and, you know, we, we do rely on Polina and missing him has made a big difference. But Pereira's been shut down quite a lot more than we've seen recently. And, um, you know, as Steve Reynolds, who's following along live on, on Facebook, has said, we have been short of depth all season. And I think fatigue and form are going hand in hand. And, and I do agree with that. I think we really are starting to see that we lack the depth. And And the commentators were able to talk about it a fair bit during the game, sort of saying, you know, this this Arsenal team can rotate players so regularly where mm. <clears throat> pretty much everyone in that Arsenal team has a really solid backup player behind them. Um, so you can constantly keep people fresh, give people minutes that they need, give people the rest that they need. We don't have that. If you look at the last uh, 10 or the, the 10 games after the World Cup, um, and, and I'm totally stealing this from, from the Fulhamish preview of the Arsenal game, but... Um, in those 10 games from the World Cup, Fulham have had 10 players play every single one of those games. I think mm. Mitro is the only person who's missed out. And then 
I think Robinson had only played nine of those games because he had one week injured as well. But we're not able to rotate the squad because we don't have a we don't have depth, and it's really starting to show. Um, look, the the third goal went in for Arsenal. Odegaard, who just dominated the game, um, scored a scored a third. You know, he's a, a fantastic player. Three 0 at half time, though we do. I, I say this all the time, but Sammy at half time, three 0 down. Um, did you go to bed? Because you went pretty quiet no. on our text chat. Oh, I just went quiet because my soul just left my body, and I just kind of just, I was just already fed up. I made some popcorn to literally just carry me through, and just like it was like a triple butter because I felt that that was important at that time period. Like, uh, I went quiet because I had nothing really to say or add. Um, what was your question? Well, did you go to bed? But I, no, I guess, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> I guess, um, you know, I wouldn't have wouldn't have blamed you because it was. Uh, I'm so what, sorry for being so negative as well. I'm almost, almost three, well. <laughs> almost three a.m. in the morning. Like it's it's pretty rough following your team when it's three a.m. and you've watched us concede three goals. And you know, we were pretty lucky that it wasn't five at halftime. I, I have to say because the offside goal was pretty tight. Um, mm. And there were a couple of good saves as well from Leno, who, who I think probably had one of the better games of the Fulham players. Yeah, um, so. uh, but Dad, look, let's try and extract some positives from this game. Um, Mitro probably had his best game um, for at least the last four or five appearances. Uh, since he sort of went down with that injury and we hadn't seen him for a while. He's he's come back, he's looked rusty, we know he's struggling a little bit. But were you impressed with how he still put himself around? He's unfortunately hit the crossbar. Did you think we were starting to see glimpses of Mitro that maybe when the games get slightly easier going into the end of April, sorry, the, the end of March, start of April, we might see Mitro start to hit some form again? Were, were you encouraged? Definitely. I, I thought Mitro actually put in a pretty good shift. He really, I thought he tried pretty hard. He had two men on him, as did Solomon. Mm. Um, and, you know, doesn't matter how good you are, it's going to have an effect when it's Arsenal putting two men on you. They're not just two bodies. Um so we, we always talk about how that could be used to our benefit because it must create another spare man. But they're that good. They'll cover that off as well. So he had a difficult day. But I thought he tried pretty hard, actually. And, um, he, you know, he does get up for big games. And I thought this is definitely a better performance than we've seen over the last couple of weeks from Metro for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, um Sammy, we, we saw Polina obviously missing from the side, but we saw Sasalukic step in. I, I still don't think he's playing in the right position. And I genuinely think um, when Polina's back, we could see Lukic actually challenging Reed for his position. And, and Reed, who's also, he's played well, but I'd say he just isn't as impactful as he was earlier in the season. Um, I think Reed and Lukic could have a really interesting battle for that other midfield position. How did you feel Lukic played in this game, considering how tough opponents he had in Odegaard, um, Vieira at some points in the game, Partey as well? Like he, he was kind of up against it in the middle there. Did you think Lukic put in a decent shift? I actually really like Lukic. I really like what um, he was doing the whole game. He had some really like tricky bits of like footwork and like. 
I I saw like some real glimpses of like the player, which I'm pretty sure he will be. You got to remember, this is like what like his third time he's played for us, so he's still really really fresh and just still figuring it out. Um, I, but yeah, it's always just going to be impossible for him, isn't it? Because he's playing out of position and he's playing uh, a role that we associate so well with just intense dominance and like aggression and uh essentially closing everybody down and that's just not the player that he is i mean we talk we talk a lot about um him challenging reed which i do think will actually be the case but i almost want him to essentially play um a role similar to uh uh andreas Pereira and almost give like andreas a break because i feel that he could actually be very very useful there and I just feel really sorry for Andreas because Andreas just looks tired and he's doing his best, but man, he he needs a nap. Like he's he's doing he's doing his best, but he's just yeah. I, I want Sasalukic to be able to step into that sort of a role for him. Yeah, Dad. Yeah, um, I have to say, uh, unpopular opinion. I, I've got a few concerns um, about Lukic from what I've seen. I like him. I like. I think he's. I think he's really talented. I think he's pretty skillful. He's got some really good quality. However, um, kind of worries me that if, you, if you're in midfield, you've always got two roles, both, both to be somewhat creative, but certainly there's always a defensive component to your game. There has to be. And off the ball, it, it just – I'm gobsmacked. We talked about this. In in the, that it was so obvious that Odegaard was simply never being picked up. He was just never. Lukic seemed to have no awareness of where Odegaard was or what he was doing. You, you, you're flinching a bit there, Jack. But I, I I'm think flinching too, man. He, like Odegaard's he, 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 brilliant. No, no, but you can still. You can still be ugly and you can man mark someone, you can follow him, you can make it difficult for him so that when he does receive the ball, as inevitably he'd, he will, um, you're there and you could just make it difficult for him. I I think that's just never going to be Lukic's role. And so I'm not that worried about it. I don't think he's got that ability, but I also don't think he's going to be asked to do that. Um, Harrison mm. Reed also isn't asked to do that. Harrison Reed gets himself about. And that's why he's good because he's like a little pit bull running around and making a mess of things. Um, I, I think that's good. But I think when you've got Polina, you want someone next to him who can pass the ball and actually create mm. things. And we do see that from Tom Kearney. And I think Lukic maybe doesn't have the creativity of Tom Kearney, but I think his positioning is very good. He looks like he drives forward really well. He looks confident when he's on the ball. We saw that a lot more. He dropped back between the two centre-backs and basically dictated play from, from defence. And whenever we had good spells of possession, I thought Lukic was actually quite central to those. He was either sitting back between the defenders and basically pulling the strings a little bit, or he was on the edge of the box and you know always available for a pass. I, I agree he's, I agree. he's not I agree. as good defensively as Polina, and I he, his tackling doesn't look quite as good. He doesn't look as good winning the ball. And I'd say maybe Reed has that over him. But I think when you've got Polina in the team, you you don't need to do that quite as much because you, you mm. are basically covered by Polina. I, I also think Odegaard, 
I, I was watching him quite closely because he was being unmarked a lot. And he actually would sit between the um, – he'd sit up near the strikers, up near Mitro, and then all of a sudden he'd peel off and be between the midfield and defence. And he'd just appear out of nowhere often. Um, He's incredible I, I think he – he he basically had the freedom because Arsenal is such a good side. He had the freedom to just float around, and he did just float into those positions often. And it's hard for Lukic because Lukic was obviously told to sit deep like Polina does, and he can't follow Odegaard all the way up the field and leave an even bigger gap. By you could see the the way we set up, we set up very structured, and we had a couple of really good lines for a defence, four across midfield, and. We we're trying to keep our structure, and I think if Lukic follows Odegaard, he breaks the structure down completely. And I think you just have to accept that it was always going to be tough against a side as good as Arsenal. And defensively, Lukic just isn't the isn't Polina. He's not as good a defensive midfielder. I think he's more of a creative midfielder, and you're not going to see that in a game against Arsenal. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree with you though. I, yeah. I think he, he he didn't impress, but I think he didn't impress because um because he was playing out of position. And I'd really like to see him play a full game alongside Polina to see how they click together because Polina yeah, and Reed no, have played a lot cool. together and, and, and looked Agreed. really good. I'd like to see Polina and Lukic have a couple of games together because I think there could be a really good link there. Um and Polina just gives so much positive energy to all the players around him. And I think Lukic would feed off that as well. Mm. Um, let's have a quick look at the stats from the game. Um, 55% possession for Arsenal to Fulham's 45%. In terms of shots, Arsenal had 15 to Fulham's 12. Fulham only managed two shots on target. Arsenal had seven. Uh, Arsenal had eight corners to Fulham's four, nine fouls for Arsenal with one yellow card, ten fouls for Fulham, and miraculously for once, no yellow cards. Um, <laughs> look, I, I think we can all agree, Arsenal's superb side, they're looking very, very likely to win the league this year. <clears throat> Probably, for me, the best team that, have, that we've played against. Um, I think when we play against Man City and we play against this iteration of Man United um, later in the season, and maybe even Liverpool with the form they're in, uh, they may give them a challenge, but, um, you know, we played Arsenal in the, earlier in the year. I thought we looked really good and held our own. We played them this time and they just looked like a completely different beast. And, you know, I think we were following along some some live tweeting and uh, someone said men against boys. And I think that's a perfect mm. description of it. Um, with that result, Fulham do fall down the table one place. We're now in eighth place. Uh, we're level on points with Brighton, who still have three games in hand over us. Uh, we're on 39 points. We now do have Chelsea and Brentford breathing down our necks, though. Brentford with two games in hand and just the one point behind. Chelsea with one game in hand and still two points behind on us. And actually, Aston Villa, one game in hand and four points behind us. So um, they're sitting in 11th place at the moment. So we're definitely not guaranteed a top-half spot at the moment. We have started to see a bit of a slide down the table. But one thing to, I guess, keep us remaining confident is um, we do have to play, uh, I think, every side in the bottom half of the league still this season. And then we also play Man United and Man City with our remaining uh, two games. So we have to play the bottom nine and then the teams in second and third. We do have an easier run than most of the other teams in the league going forward. But with the relegation scrap on at the moment, 
um, it could be a little bit tricky and there are a few little hiccups that I could see coming in. So we really do need to pick up some of the performances which have maybe been a little bit lacklustre in the last few weeks. But look, guys, let's draw a line under this game and move forward because I think we can all agree that it wasn't a very good performance from Fulham. We do need to reset and um, we've got the Man United game in the FA Cup coming up. Casemiro got sent off on the weekend for a straight red card, meaning that he will miss that game, which is very handy for Fulham. I also saw that Garnacho went down with an injury and was seen leaving on crutches afterwards. So it wouldn't be overly surprising if he missed out in that game as well. We might also see a bit of rotation from Man United, who are playing in Europe at the same time. They have a game on the Thursday before a Sunday game against us. So uh, it could be a good time to be coming up against Man United in a cup game, which they might not take as seriously, um, considering they're still pushing to secure Champions League football. Um, let's move on and have a look at a couple of tweets. Dad, do you want to walk us through some of these? And let's go to the first one. This one from Tom J. Great Rex on Twitter. Yeah, and it says, obviously, the scoreline, Fulham nil, Arsenal three. We looked tired. They looked like champions. Um, yeah, not unfair. Um, and probably more succinct than we've been all night. Yeah, I was going to say they've put what we've said in 30 minutes into, well, usually 140 characters on Twitter. I think that's about 30 characters and pretty much summed it up. Um, we really did look kind of like Sammy looks right now, seeing as it's just gone 1am, Sam? No, midnight for you. Yeah, it's just gone midnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we did look tired and they really did look like champions. I think that's really it's a perfect tweet to wrap up kind of how the game went for us. Good yawn there, Sammy. Right on cue. Sorry. Let's <laughs> jump across to the next one. This is from Ibs at FFC underscore Ibs on Twitter. Yeah, I thought it was IBS, but anyway. Um, <laughs> for the next for the next 10 uh, Premier League matches in April and May, Fulham will play eight teams in the current bottom half, as we just mentioned previously. And most of the eight are battling relegation or are looking nervously over their shoulder. Man City and Man United are the only two who are in the top six. As we mentioned, so look, I think, I think that's a bit of a twin-edged sword because, yes, there are definitely points to be collected um, based on, you know, past performances this season, but the intensity might really get up there in the bottom of the table. And that that could create some incredible performances, and teams might just start coming at us. So uh, I we I think we agree that. We we have to get our skates on and mm. find some form. Sammy, do you think that's a positive or a negative that the teams we're playing against are basically all in a relegation scrap? Because pretty much, I mean, if you look at um, 12th place Crystal Palace on 27 points, are only three points out of the relegation zone. Mm. Uh, do you think that it's, it's a positive or a negative that these teams are in such a tight relegation scrap where literally every point is so valuable for them at this stage of the season. I mean, I oh, on a on a completely biased point of view, I do love a relegation scrap. It's it's what makes the game what it is. It's beautiful. Um uh, but from uh, an us perspective, you know, I actually think this is actually going to be quite a good thing for us because it would be very easy for us to fall into complacency. I mean, not saying that we actually will, but um uh, I think teams that are beatable that want to beat us 
actually gives us an opportunity to actually gain some confidence again, take games a bit more seriously, and then actually finish the season strong. Like, it, it, Mitrovic is not going to be going up against Gabriel and Saliba in the next couple of games. Mm. So, like, that's a, that's a good opportunity for him to essentially bully some defenders and then hopefully get back to where he is. And then we can start a new timeline going. Yeah, I agree. It does make a big difference. I think the quality of players you come up against, even if you are in a relegation scrap, I think when you when you're coming up against, like you said, um, Saliba, Gabriel, when you play Man United, you're coming up against Martinez, who's been in great form. Man City, you're coming against Ruben Diaz. Like it's just different gravy. And then you come up against these teams fighting for relegations. There are there are mistakes happening constantly in those sides, and you just hope that you can that you have the quality to actually capitalise on those and make your chances count. Um, I, I actually think, just on that, though, I actually think it's, I think it's far more difficult and far more challenging to play a team that's safe because I think when you're in a relegation scrap, you can easily overthink it. You can get yourself in a position in a game where you're 1-0 up and think, we, 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 we've got to get at least a point out of this and mm. not continue to be positive. And yeah, whereas, you know, we, we can take the game on and just play it on face value, they could easily be overthinking it. And because there's so much pressure on them, it's 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 all to play for. And I think if they start, you know, get themselves into a position in a game where they panic and throw the kitchen sink at it, it creates opportunities for us as well. So I think it's – I reckon it's it's easier for us to play – Teams who are scrapping it out at the bottom. It yeah, is, the, the only thing I'd beat them. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I'd say is we we Fulham potentially become a free hit for a lot of those sides, and you know what can happen when when it's a free hit. Sometimes you play with that bit of freedom. You're not expecting to pick up points from Fulham, so you do go into the game with a little bit more freedom, and and maybe that's why we need to be a little bit wary because the games that those teams in the bottom half play against each other are incredibly important and impactful. The games they play up against Fulham are less so. And I think they, there's the opportunity to try and steal some points off Fulham by having a bit of freedom and going for gold and seeing what can happen. And you can be, you can be found out a little bit sometimes. Um, let's have a look at this. Obviously, big storyline of, of this game was Polina not playing. We've got a couple of tweets here from... Um, Fulham Fan News at Fulham Transfer on Twitter and Adam at Adam FFC on Twitter as well. I think as long as Silva stays and signs a new deal, Polini will stay too. Knowing FFP restrictions ease this summer as well, I fully expect a busy, exciting summer. Let's move on from today, knowing we aren't involved in that extremely tight relegation battle. And that's from Fulham Fan News. Um and then Adam FFC says Polini's value went up twenty million in the last two games, and he didn't, and we didn't even play. Sorry, and I think he meant and he didn't yeah, even play. Yeah, I think play. He, he didn't even play. Um, yeah, I'd seriously not consider anything less than ninety million. Five years left on his contract. Um, the ball is for once in Fulham's court. Yeah, and look, I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk on Twitter and rumours flying around about Polina in the last 24 hours or so. Um, and this always happens off the back of some poor performances where a few journos have basically just made up stories saying Fulham have set a price for Polina. 
I saw one journo come out and say Fulham had set a price of forty million for Polina, which I just cannot believe for one second. Um, yeah, and yeah. people saying you know Liverpool are in the box seat to sign Polina this summer. Um, yeah, you know I, I I do agree. I think if Silver stays, Polina probably stays too. Um, it's a really good point about the FFP restrictions. We because of that hundred million we spent when we got relegated we've been in a really dire position in terms of financial fair play. Um, and, and obviously we know it sort of rolls season by season. We're finally caught up where we've made some really clever deals and we're actually going to be ahead of the game a little bit. So we do have the ability to spend some money. Um, and and I, I think, you know, if Silver does sign, I, I can't see why Polina would leave. Um, I, I don't even think it's 100% tied down to Silver. I think polina has got five years left on his contract. Unless Polina decides that he really doesn't want to be at Fulham anymore, I can't see a reason why he'd leave unless we got offered a stupid amount, like Adam says, around 90 to 100 million. At that point, you kind of can't turn down deals like that. We see Haaland and Mbappe and Neymar go for those those amounts of money, and it's because you can't turn down that kind of money when it comes. But I just don't see a reason why, with five years left on the contract, Polina would leave unless he's incredibly unhappy and mm. he doesn't seem incredibly unhappy at the moment i know we're not playing great football at the moment but throughout the whole season he seemed very settled and very happy so i i have to agree with both of those points saying i think polina firstly is worth a, a huge sum and secondly i think we're pretty i i'm feeling a little bit confident we'll, we'll keep him for at least one more year after that hard to say because you'll have three years left on the contract or three or four years left on the contract, I think it's worth cashing at that point mm -hmm. um, because he will be worth probably 90 to 100 million. And I think you can't really keep hold of a player like that if you're Fulham. Yep. Um, <clears throat> let's jump to the other other Polina tweets here. Um, this is sort of less so about Polina staying at the club, but more so how missing him um, really impacted us from um, Nicholas Carey at Carey Nicholas on Twitter and our friend at The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. Uh, yeah, from Nicholas Carey, he says, we're actually a one-man team. We're nothing without Polinia. I'm not having that. not having that for mm. one second. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think uh, he's incredibly important, but I think that's a little bit of a long bow. Or I think it's a stretch to suggest that he's the only great thing about this 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 season's Fulham team. Try saying that to Bert Leno in his face, in his scary German face. Look, I... Yeah, good point. In, in some ways, I do agree with what Nick said there. I think... I, I don't think we're a one-man team, but I think without Polina, we've been toothless this year. Um... Mm. There was a stat flying around at halftime in the two and a half games where we haven't had Polina in the starting lineup. We've conceded 10 goals in the Premier League. Um, there was another stat, I think Peter Rutzler might have shared himself, um, that said 20% of the goals Fulham have conceded this season have been when Polina's not been playing, and he's only missed two and a half games out of 27. So he's missed 10% of the games and we've conceded 20% of our goals for the whole season in those games. I, I don't think we're nothing without Polina, but I think we are a completely different beast without Polina. 
and mm. we really, really struggle when he's not in the team. And it has a negative impact on everyone around him as well. Um, uh, so, so one-man team, no. But I, I agree, we, we don't look the same Fulham when Polina's not in the lineup. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think uh, we're agreeing with the second half of that question or statement and perhaps not the first. Yeah, um, yeah. So this one's from Peter Rutzler, um, and Peter says, Silva said blaming Polina's absence would be an easy excuse, same considering the need for a rest. On Willian, he said he had a hamstring issue earlier in the week and back back issue felt over the last couple of days he was meant to start today. Well, hamstrings and backs often go together, so that's not that surprising. Mm. And there's no surprise that if, if Willian's got any injury concerns, you can't blame. Um, mm. You know, he's too important. He's too fragile. He's too – he's just too old. Um but I, I think you can't you can't risk any player with a soft tissue or a back injury or back soreness. Uh, Especially an important one as well. Oh, you um, can't you can't do it. Yeah, and yeah. and I I agree with Peter Rutzer there as well. Well, with Silver, I guess uh, that you can't just blame Polina's absence on the loss. I think what Silva's trying to say there is it, it, what, it just wasn't a good performance and you can't say it's because Polina was there because that does paper over the cracks where there, there were issues there that need to be addressed. And I think it's it's an easy excuse saying, yeah, Polina wasn't there, so that's why we had issues. Um, I don't think that can be an excuse because who says he doesn't get injured at the start of the next season and miss six months? What are you going to do then? You're going to just every week say, yeah, well, Polina wasn't playing, so we lost. Mm. It's an interesting because it's clearly lots of different. You, you've come up against the best team in the league, but even if you were playing, I don't know, um, I don't. Let's pick a team, uh, um, a, a rematch against Brighton Hove Albion, um, or someone of that quality. If Pelini is not there, he's he's become such a, you know such a rock for this team. I think heads do drop a bit. Mm, 100%. I think. In the change room, in the change room, they drop. I think there's just a that the balloon of belief just deflates a little bit. I think uh, on the field the too. Team. I think the players around him I mean. are so confident. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know that yeah. there's someone who's getting about and making tackles and winning the ball. You don't have that when he's not there. And that's and that and that's the sort of impact that the guy wears the armband has or some guy is really important in the dressing room very difficult to put a value on that because he might not be the only player but it's all these little soft benefits that you get from actually having him out on the did we lose that we definitely did oh, i think he having was him out on the Pitch. Yep, yeah. I can close that one off for him as well. Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> yeah, I guarantee he's going to come flying back in as well and still be talking. Um, he's, yeah, he's still got his point. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on to this last tweet, Sammy, while Dad tries to reconnect. Yeah. Um, this is just a nice one to finish off because, you know, there weren't many good moments. One thing I have left out was obviously Rachel Yankee at halftime who received her Forever Fulham Award and a really mm. worthy recipient, and, and really special as well because um, this this game was celebrating International Women's Day. I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the um, 
ball assistants were female. Um, I did and, notice that actually. I did, and the mascots as well coming out were were female as well, which I think was oh. was really good that Fulham put in a really big effort to properly acknowledge International Women's Day and did really That's well. Fantastic. But one oh, thing I just wanted to point out was um, something the Fulham Football Club US supporters official US supporters group who tweeted that um, Fulham FC official captain and US soccer men's national team defender. Tim Ream wore noise-cancelling headphones in support of the child that accompanied him onto the pitch early today, which I just think is a mark of the man who, you know, we just love so much. But the fact that he does the little things like that, and, you know, it's it's quite possible that he's actually received a fine for that because I know you're not allowed to walk out onto the field with um, any kind of products that, like, endorse anything else outside of football you know people are having to cover up logos on headbands and stuff if it doesn't comply with rules and he's gone out there with headphones to show support for someone who obviously has um auditory issues i think it's called where um that would be very brave that would be a very brave football official to find tim ream over that Oh yeah, but watch it happen. It'll all be, um, be behind doors over like. But you know what? Even even if he did, I think it's it's hundred percent worth it. And we know that Tim Ream's just you know one of the Quality best guy. guys going mm. around. And nah, lovely stuff. Hundred percent, such a good guy at Fulham as well. And it's good to see him him do something like that. And I thought that was just a, a nice little tweet to share after what was a pretty gloomy day for Fulham fans um, and for us having to cover it as well. It's nice to see a good moment like that um, to finish off uh, the tweets. Sammy, I've equipped you on our live slides with a beautiful top hat here. Thank um, you. Because I believe you have uh, uh, what I've been calling Sam's thing. I like Sam's thing. It 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 sounds borderline sexual, but it works. No, Sam's thing's good. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, this one, because I am deliriously tired. This is the stupidest one I think I've done. So, uh, so Mick Jagger was there. He was in the stands, famous Arsenal supporter. Apparently I was confused by that. Anyway, I, I started, my brain went, okay, I'll do a Mick Jagger thing. And I was like, I'm not giving, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not focusing on Arsenal. So I was like, who else, who else is of that same level? Not really at the same level as Mick Jagger. But I was like, Hugh Grant. Let's go with Hugh Grant because <laughs> I know that he's a Fulham supporter. We love you, Hugh. So in this scenario, you just have to tell me which player relates to which Hugh Grant movie better. Now, this is broad. <laughs> this is broad as it God. gets. <laughs> so four weddings and a funeral, Bobby Decker, Dover Reed, or Tosin? I don't even know how you're going to work this one out. Which which one fits into the movie better? Yeah, let's go with that. Which one fits into I, the movie better? I I can see BDR actually being a bit of an actor. I think Tosin would be solid, uh, like a plank of wood out there if you put him in front of it on a soundstage. I think BDR is my man. Okay. Now that you've said yeah. that, though, I do see Tosin in a Richard Curtis film being an awkward friend, so I think I'm going to go Tosin just based off of that. <laughs> yeah, fair comment. Yep. Uh, don't ask me Tosin questions. I'm not happy. All right. Okay, moving <laughs> on to the next one. Dad actually um, left the live stream for a minute there when he heard Tosin's name. 
Ugh, I, I love I love that um, dad's hatred of Tosin has officially become canon. That's been an in joke for years, but it's great. Uh, that's too no, much. No, we're doing my that's quiz. No, we're not. We're not. We're not. We're not breaking this down. It's not hatred. I'll, I'll 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 pay that because I know Tosin's a, an avid listener of the podcast, and is he definitely Wonderful. not hatred? No, no, we love you, Tosin. All right, Notting Hill, Tim Ream, or Anthony Robinson, because they're both American. That's fair. I was going to say he's American, and then you named another American. Yeah. Um, Tim Ream, I think he's got, you know, actor looks. He's a little bit shaggy. I think I, I could see, I could see him wandering around Notting Hill. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think Anthony Robinson <clears throat> fits um, Richard Curtis movie somehow. Actually, mm. I've just realised these are just all Richard Curtis movies as well, um, except for this one. So, um, uh, uh, about a boy, do you see Solomon in that film or Sasa Lukic? Can I say Solomon boy. because he looks most like a boy? Yeah, because I was like, I was like, they're both <laughs> boys at Fulham. No, I think uh, Sasa Lukic has got quite a boy, a, a boyish face, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. Okay, next. <laughs> I could I, I could see Sasa Lukic being like one of like Hugh that's, Grant's that's the best mates comment. That's the best comment I could come up with. Yeah, no, it works though. It's great in this context. Um, Next, I think, is what you said. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, lo- love, love, actually, uh, Marco Silva or Polina, going back to last week because they both look kind of, bo- they both kind of look like Colin Firth in that film, in my opinion. Silva Polina. Um, oh, I th- I could see Polina playing the part of the um, isn't it, is it a Portuguese girl who's a maid? Yes. Guy with um is it Colin Firth? Yeah, it is so, Colin Firth. So Pallion is in a relationship with Colin Firth. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, just completely swap parts. That I want to uh, see that film. And um, learning I'm English. Go... I I'd actually like to see Pallinia play that part and Marco Silva play Colin Firth's part. And they both <laughs> are in the movie together. Is, and where, where has learns, this all gone? Where is Pallinia learns gone? English to to tell Marco Silva how much he loves him. Jack, this is this is a beautiful screenplay. I am I'm invested in this happening. story. Yeah. Like the typewriter flows. Yeah, it's great. I think Marco Silva's got a career on the silver screen or the the little screen uh, after the football. Silver screen. He's got yep, he's got good. the hairline for it, honestly. And <laughs> finally, we're talking bad boys. We're talking that the 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 date that you tell everybody about, Bridget Jones's diary, Mitrovic or Tom Kearney. Oh, Sammy, Tom Kearney every time. See, I could see, I could see, I could see Mitrovic and Bridget Jones's diary. Oh, Tom Kearney's like... the heartthrob. No, Tom Kearney is definitely the heartthrob. Your your relationship to Tom Kearney just just gets better and better week on week. It escalates every uh... week because I did I did end up playing in the car today. Um, you to me are everything, Tom Kearney, and my son Alfie just his whole face just lit up the second it came on, and he sung. Almost every word, which was quite weird because he only heard it a handful of times. But that's precious. Yeah, we're just we're loving Tom Kearney in this house at the moment, and that's not going to stop. I'm not sure if Tom Kearney's the I most think, handsome I think Tom player. Is, he's, I think he's, he's possibly too obvious. I think uh, she goes out, she picks a, a, a bad boy, and I think she picks Mitrovic, and they go out for pizza. 
Yeah, Mit- most, I feel that I feel that I feel there. that Mitrovic is actually Colin Firth in that film, where you think he's going to be worse than he actually is, and then he comes around and you're like, oh, he's actually got a heart of gold. Whereas, like, yeah, the Tom Candy's the 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 what is what does Hugh Grant play in that role? He plays, I know I know the name of the character, but like, is he an executive? Like, what is he? I have no idea, but it seems like Hugh Grant and Colin Firth are the only two actors who are in any of these movies, which is a well, bit that's, weird. Well, that's Richard Curtis's problem. Anyway, that's the segment. Good job, Sammy. Um, not not your worst, which is yeah. saying a lot. Um, it's always come through. You guys always tell me, you like, got to be full and relay, but the silly bollocks, that's the thing that gets the people going. Uh, I just the mo- the thing I enjoy most is when you say it's film related, you go completely <laughs> off chops and say Tony Khan has come up with this new idea, and you just chuck Tony Khan's name in there, and then all of a sudden it's film related. My creativity <laughs> knows no bounds. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a big statement, but we'll take it. Um, right, well, guys, we've we've managed to talk for a lot longer than I wanted to, I guess, but I, I think it actually needed quite a big discussion after a game like that where you know it it was a disappointing performance I think we all kind of knew and agreed that we weren't going to win this game um, but we were hoping to put in a bit more of an effort and see Fulham come away with maybe a point at best and it was disappointing to see us walk away and and kind of get steamrolled Um, uh, but as we said earlier we we draw a line under this one we have a a much more favourable run of fixtures coming up before the end of the season and I think um, we really do need to start seeing some good performances soon, though, because um, uh, we're not going to get pulled into a relegation scrap, but it'd be really disappointing to have been sitting in sixth place not that long ago and then to drop all the way down to 10th, 11th at the end of the season. Even though all we wanted to do was be safe, I think um, we should be aiming higher than that based on the start we had. And we, we can still take solace in the fact that we've had a good season and we're not going to be in a relegation scrap, but... Um, it, it would feel like a bit of a disappointment if we did slip down too much further. So fingers crossed uh, we get some good results coming up. The next time we'll be talking is previewing the Man United game, the FA Cup quarterfinal, um, which will be a big game for Fulham, the first quarterfinal in 16 years. Um, and, you know, it's one that we all really want to win because if we win that, we get to Wembley. We get an FA Cup semi final, and there's a potential for some silverware for Fulham coming up in the, in the near future. So um, look, a big thanks to everyone who supported us again. Um, really appreciate anyone who listens to the podcast, uh, joins us on these live streams, uh, just interacts with us on Twitter. We've been trying to put out a fair bit of content recently, and we really appreciate people who share our posts, share the page, you know, please do share us with your friends. If you enjoy the podcast, if you want people to, listen to more Fulham content, we're your place at the moment. There's some great podcasts out there, but we're trying to do as much as we can to keep everyone engaged and and keep it fresh. So we do really appreciate everyone who's been joining in and and supporting us um, as we reach, I think this is our 40th episode now, which is kind of crazy. Um, Yeah. So um, look, we'll keep going and keep pushing on. It's been a really enjoyable season so far. and We hope there's much more. Do make sure that you like us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Twitch. You can find us on TikTok. You can find us on YouTube. We are everywhere. Search for That's So Craven. You will find us. Um, please do continue to support us. We really enjoy what we do and really, really appreciate all your support. 
Sammy, incredibly late. Thank you so much for staying up till 12.30 a.m. to record this podcast. Really appreciate having you on. Yeah, I'm going to be messed up tomorrow. But, you know, bad game, good podcast. I love you, Hugh Grant. Come on the podcast whenever you can. Thanks for having me. Definitely a listener. And, uh, Dad, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. And I just want to say uh, to Steve, who's listening, thanks for everyone who's listening, uh, but Steve, who's following us on the live stream, he, who also selected Mitro and Pizza. It was original. I, I, I didn't actually see your your, Big up uh, you, Steve. your note there. But um, well done, Steve. You're now free and released to look after the goats. <laughs> <laughs> Righto. Well, guys, thank you again for joining me and everyone. Until next time, come on, you whites. <laughs>